Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I am Jordan Hill. We have a very special episode of the Junkyard Dogcast today. My guy Nathan King from Auburn Undercover came on, kind of did sort of a, uh, a shared episode. We each took turns talking about each team, talking about Georgia, talking about Auburn, getting ready for the big game, 3.30 p.m. on Saturday. So let's get right into it. Nathan and I had what I thought was a very interesting conversation about both teams, gave our thoughts, gave our thoughts on several different matchups, and also our predictions there at the end of the podcast. So let's jump right into it. Hello, everybody. How's it going? Nathan King here with the Auburn Undercover Podcast. This is another edition of the Auburn Undercover Podcast. It is also another edition of the Junkyard Dogcast because I am joined here by Mr. Jordan Hill, of course, from Dogs 24-7. Jordan, how are you doing? We're going to try to try to kill two birds with one stone today. Does that sound good? I think it's great. I mean, I kind of felt like we're in the multiverse or something. Let's just get all the 247 podcasts. Let's just see how many. Let's call it West Rucker, man. Get Tennessee in here. Let's, let's just, let's just go know, all in. On StreamYard, you can only have 10 broadcasts at the same time, so we'll have to cut out four, four SEC people. Um, but, with, you know, just, we'll just do some short straws. Yeah. Let's just do this every week. Let's just have a giant, massive SEC podcast. I'm I sure think, that I would. Think, I think Bud would come on with us. I think we could do that. I think, yeah, uh, surely, surely it would go very well. But um, anyway, everybody, so welcome in today um, to our our live stream viewers. We've got it pumping on four different channels right now, both of our Facebooks and uh, both of our YouTubes. But uh, as we both said in the open, depending on whether you are a subscriber to the Auburn Undercover podcast or the Junkyard Dogcast, um, you know, we, we thought it'd be best here. You know, it's it's funny. Like a lot of times, you'll we'll do these kind of shows where we'll you know, you'll hop on somebody else's you know no, you know another team's reporter and and do a podcast or something like that, and then immediately after, it's like, all right, so uh, so when do you want to do ours? And me and Jordan were like, well, let's just uh, let's just try to let's just try to hit it together um, at the same time and knock it out. So obviously, it is uh, the Deep South's oldest rivalry coming up, the one hundred and twenty seventh edition of it. Um, Jordan, I don't remember ever watching Auburn uh, win this game in Athens because that was all the way back in 2005. You might have some better recollection of it, but um, me personally, I've never even seen Auburn compete offensively in this game. You go back the past three meetings, 218 yards per game for Auburn, which is very, very bad, and uh, and 7.7 points per game in this uh, when they when they face off in Athens. So, um, but don't tell that to Brandon Council because he is Auburn's starting center. He is very, very confident 
that uh, that this one will be different. But um, I guess just I, I wanted to start off with you, and and we can talk about both of these teams. Their struggles the past couple weeks, of course, Georgia is five and zero, so their struggles really don't matter. Um, Auburn obviously blew a seventeen point lead against LSU, but I, I just wanted to get your sort of impressions on um, Georgia the past couple weeks because they look mortal. You know, they, they, they everyone you know was sort of crowning them already after the first week, and they absolutely absolutely looked fantastic against Oregon. Um, but just what what are what are some of the biggest issues you've seen from this team? the past couple weeks. And obviously we take that with a grain of salt because they did win those games. And, you know, you have some clunkers every, every once in a while, but um, you know, just with this team sort of coming back down to earth, what have sort of been the factors for that? And what do you, what do you think they're going to try to, you know, exercise out of there on, on Saturday? First on your point about how long it's been since Auburn has won in Athens, I was 11. And if I remember correctly, I think it was a situation where I fell asleep watching it on the couch and it's like the next day, I woke up and asked my dad what happened. He's like, yeah, Auburn won. If I'm remembering right, that might have been like a 31-30 game or something like that. So, uh, so yeah, little Jordan was probably not very happy on Sunday morning when that happened. But talking about this Georgia team, it, it's so funny how quickly things can change because f- through the first probably three weeks of the season, you know, Georgia beats Oregon. Georgia handles Sanford, not the prettiest win, but, you know, you handle an FCS team in week two. Then you just blow out South Carolina on the road. And people were asking the question, and I think it was fair, even though it was early in the year, could this team be better than the 2021 team? Could this team, you know, as a whole, I don't don't think people, even with how the defense started, thought that they were quite at the level of the 2021 defense. But just given how the offense had played, could this team as a whole be better? And the last two weeks we have seen that I think that was just a little bit premature. You know, I think it's been a situation these last two weeks. To me, it kind of boils down to, Georgia's not done a very good job holding on to the ball. You know, the first three weeks, they did not turn the ball over a single time. Did very well creating turnovers when they could in those first few games. You know, Malachi Starks, the the freshman safety, had two of the bigger turnovers to start the year. Had a pick on Bo Nix in that opening game. And then in week three, picked off Spencer Rattler. And, and that pick was kind of... Sort of the beginning of the end, at least in that South Carolina game, where it was like from there, Georgia just kind of turned it on. And uh, I got to admit that I asked Kirby after the Sanford game, hey, you guys haven't turned the ball over yet. And Kirby looked right at me and said, you just jinxed us. Well, uh, since then, I think they've had five turnovers in two games. So I don't think a lot of Georgia fans are thrilled with me about that. But the problem really, I mean, you got to win the turnover battle no matter what. But those turnovers, all of them have come in the first half. And if I'm not mistaken, both turnovers in the Missouri game came in the first quarter. And so not only are you giving the ball to the opponent, but that's taking possessions away from you. And the problem that Georgia's had, even going back to week two, you know, they started so strong offensively in week one against Oregon. Seven straight drives with touchdowns. I mean, like, you can't, you literally cannot ask for more than that. Sanford game, they had issues in the red zone, had to settle for field goals. And we were all kind of like, that's kind of weird, you know, playing a, a team and playing a defense that obviously you're more talented than. But, you know, you, you kind of think, well, maybe they just were sort of sleepwalking. Well, we've seen that issue again, even going through these first five weeks. And, and that was the issue against Missouri where you're playing with less possessions because you turn the ball over. Now you're settling for field goals. And, and credit to Jack Podlesny, Georgia's kicker, because he was making them. Um, but you were playing with not a whole lot of sort of margin for error in that Missouri game. And and truthfully, Nathan, watching that game when uh, Harrison Mevis hit that 56-yard field goal, I think that was early in the fourth quarter, 
I thought Georgia was going to lose. I mean, once he hit that kick, which was his fifth kick, which I, I still cannot believe coming off that Auburn game. Yeah, good for him, really. I felt, I mean, you got to feel terrible when he missed that yes. against Auburn. But, but yeah, they had all the momentum. Absolutely. I mean, I thought Georgia has lost this game. And credit to Setson Bennett, credit for the running backs, Dejon Edwards, and, and uh, also Kenny McIntosh, who has played a little bit banged up. They played in a situation where in that fourth quarter, they pretty much could not afford any mistakes, and, and they were able to escape it. Uh, they were able to win, and I mean, I think it just kind of boils down to they have got to do a better job of holding on to the football. The defense on the whole played pretty well. There's just a few explosive plays they gave up. I mean, none bigger than the 52-yard run in the second quarter, uh, which honestly kind of turned out to be a huge moment in the game. Missouri gets all the way down to the one. It looked like they were going to score, and then talk about Malachi Starks again. He makes a tackle at the one-yard line. And then Georgia gets a stop. I think Missouri has a penalty on the first and goal play, kind of pushes them back. They're able to force a field goal. I think if Missouri scores on that play, Georgia loses, just from the from the points perspective. And, you know, you know there are plays after that. But, I mean, that was a four-point swing going from a touchdown uh, and then having to settle for a field goal. Georgia wins by four. So, I mean, you know, you, you kind of understand that that was a big moment in the game. Um, so it it was it's definitely been a very interesting two weeks, and, and I hate for it to kind of feel like a cop out when I say this, but I think I'm going to learn a lot about this Georgia team this week. I think coming off of those two games because everybody looked at that Missouri game, and, and uh, credit to Ben Wolk, we we were on the Auburn Observer podcast last night, and he made this point, you know, that everybody looked at that Missouri game with Georgia and said Georgia's going to come in fired up because they played like crap against Kent State. Missouri is just going to be, you know, dogged, you know, oh my God, this is so bad. How could we have lost that Auburn game? And it was kind of flipped. Missouri is like, hey man, we could have won that game and and we're going to come out here and show people that we're legitimate. And, you know, credit too for that game being in Columbia. I think the fans got behind them when they got some momentum early. And then it was sort of a situation with Georgia where it just sort of seemed like they got out of sorts early, you know, again, going back to those turnovers. And it seemed like they were just trying to figure out, whoa, what, what's happening? You know, what, what do we need to do? It was just a very bizarre game, but it was a situation where I think Georgia understands if they had a game like that against a, a Tennessee, against a Kentucky, you know, they play Mississippi State later in the year, they probably lose that game. So it could be a, a really valuable wake-up call. Um, and it'll be interesting to see uh, what the response is this week. And now I'll turn it to you, Nathan. Uh, it seems like, you know, I always try to keep track with Auburn, obviously having been there, covering the team before. Very interesting, you know, few weeks. We mentioned that Missouri game. Looking back at that LSU game, get up 17 nothing. you know, I was kind of keeping track of it up in the press box there in Columbia. And, and then it seems like, at least for me, um, not having covered the game, it, it just sort of totally swung in LSU's favor. Uh, tell me what your takeaways were from that game and, and what's been the response from the players. I mean, I know that, this has been kind of a, a tough season with games like that Penn State game and, and even the Missouri game they won. Um, what has been the response or what has stood out to you coming off of that LSU game? Yeah, you know, it's interesting you bring up the the mindsets between Georgia and, and Missouri that everyone expects, or are you saying that Ben brought it up, um, that was expected in that game because I feel like we sort of have an expectation for what Saturday will be. We're, we're expecting that or at least I have. I mean, I've written it a bunch of times. I can't say that I haven't said it, but you know, uh, Georgia's going to be uh, you know anxious to 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 work off some of these frustrations. They're going to be angry of these past couple games. Um, you know, and, and <laughs> speaking of the Observer podcast, I saw that after Brandon Council's quotes, Painter tweeted. He said, 
Uh, they might arrest Kirby Smart on on Sunday after after giving this bulletin board material. But again, that's all that's all the assumptions we make like during the week, and then you never know what's going to happen on game day. I I do I do suspect that they'll be that they'll probably be fired up um, in this one. But talking about you know you bring up turnovers, and in Auburn's two losses, they have eight turnovers in those two games. Um, and really, you mentioned the ones at the beginning of the game against Missouri, kind of giving them a leg up at the start and giving them momentum. For Auburn, it's been second half turnovers. So against Penn State, they turned the ball over twice in the second half. And it, it didn't really do anything for field position. It didn't really do anything for scoring. Penn State only scored 10 points off turnovers that whole game. It just kind of allowed a team that was already kind of getting into its groove on both sides of the ball a team that was already running the ball well, that was establishing the run with a five-star running back to just dictate the pace of the game and, and just kind of get in control against LSU. it sealed a you know 17 point meltdown. You had Auburn showing a lot of strides in this game. Uh, you know, you, anytime you can go up 17, nothing, you're probably doing something right. Um, I don't think people would be bringing up Robbie Ashford so much to, to Kirby smart this week. If he didn't look so good in this last game, you only know, completed 50% of his passes, but you know, they found that explosiveness that has been eluding them at the wide receiver position. They only had four explosive passing plays on the season. Entering the game, they had four in the game against LSU. Um, so you know, I think they got a lot more comfortable on offense, but it was just the turnovers, man. And and their defense had a great game too, you know, only allowing two touchdown drives. You look at the drive chart for LSU, and it was just you know, punt, 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 punt. They score before the half, punt, 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 touchdown, punt, fumble, end of game. I mean, like it, they Auburn's defense saved for two, you know, isolated series. They played really well, and so it's. When the offense plays well, that it especially seems turnover. So, so you can't you can't rule that out. But when you feel like you've improved on offense and you feel like you improved on defense, what does that leave? And you know, you want to find creative ways to win games. And recently, Brian Harson finds creative ways to lose games. It's it's I mean, it's just plain and simple. It, it, you you can't look at this team that has held a double digit lead. It, these it's mind boggling to me. It's crazy. They have held a double-digit lead in five straight SEC games going back to last season. They should have lost every single one of them. Obviously, they beat Missouri, but Missouri literally, quite literally, handed the game to them. They dropped the ball right in the end zone. I've never, like, never in my life seen anything like that. And like we mentioned, last year's first-team All-SEC kicker, Harrison Mavis, who went out and was you know, was awesome against Georgia, shanked a 26-yarder. And so they should have lost five straight SEC games when leading by double digits. When you when you look at you know what it came to, down to on the field against LSU, they gave the ball away in LSU territory three times in the second half. Two turnovers, and then they turned the ball over on downs, going for it on fourth and 10 from the 38-yard line. And that you could just kind of hear these uncertain groans in the stadium when that offense stayed on the field and just like, oh, surely not going to snap the ball, right? And then they go for it on fourth and 10 from the 38. It was nuts. Um, I understand Brian, Brian Harson was just playing Madden in that situation. So. I, and the thing was, they 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 went for it a yard at the 37 later on on a fourth and 11. So only a different play by one yard. And they converted it because of a, a pass interference down the field. And I'm I'm certainly not the coach, but I'm just saying that 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 was something that raised a lot of eyebrows. And it certainly you know created a lot of questions after the game. But that's just the best way I can I can put it with this team is that um, it kind of you know, this, the spectrum was sort of leveled out, I think, because they absolutely no way they should have beaten Missouri. I mean, absolutely no way. And there's probably not many ways they should have lost to LSU because 
if anybody watched this game for a little bit, Jaden Daniels was was not healthy and was doing nothing. Eight of twenty. You know, in an SEC road win, the quarterback went eight of twenty. And then they brought in Garrett Nussmeyer. He went two of six. LSU had six passing yards in the second half and won a, and won an, a road football game at Auburn, in which Auburn played pretty decent on both sides of the ball. So it's just the turnovers is the biggest thing. Um, it's sort of a crisis at this point. Like it, it, it has reached critical mass with them. Minus nine turnover margin on the season. They only forced their first turn, turnover of the year. I got their first defensive takeaway in week four against Missouri. That was the first one of the entire season. Um, and so still minus nine on the year. I believe that's third to last in all of college football. And to me, I'm just looking at this Georgia matchup and saying, you know, if they don't win the turnover battle, I won't say it's impossible for them to win. I cannot see many avenues. And so it's really interesting that you, that you, you know, were so honed in on that aspect for Georgia. It seems like both teams in this game are really going to be trying um, to hold on to the ball. But, you know, I, the biggest key for Auburn is going to be finding those explosive plays, I think, um, because just from what I've seen from Georgia, and you can correct me if I'm wrong at all, but I don't see this Auburn team lining up and going down the field 80 yards multiple times, maybe maybe one time in the game. But for me, it's, you know, it comes down so much to those explosive plays, and that and that's that's where I ask you, um, you know, Ashford is a guy who can create outside the pocket. That's kind of his his forte. I do think Georgia will be keyed in a little bit better. LSU did not expect him to push the ball down the field. So as soon as he moved out, the safeties were sucked in, and that was it. You left the guy wide open. Georgia now has seen that on tape, and they can fix that a little bit. Still, he's a guy who's going to try to move outside the pocket, similar to what Bo Nix has tried to do over the past few seasons. Obviously, Georgia did very well against him. I guess just that part of Georgia's defense for you, because we know the defensive front is pretty strong. Granted, they're down one of their, quite possibly their best player. Um, but just, you know, what have they said this week about defending a guy like Ashford and, and kind of, you know, she's showed a lot of improvement over the last week and, and finally getting, you know, his feet under him in terms of an SEC start. And I guess just what do you expect their game plan to be in order to limit him? Because he is probably going to be their main source of offense because Auburn has not run the ball the past four weeks effectively at all. Based on what Kirby Smart said on Monday and Tuesday, and I thought that he made a very good point, and I think you saw this in the LSU game. You know, he talked about the fact that Robbie doesn't necessarily scramble to to pick up yards on the ground to to just take off and run. He opens things up in the passing game, and to the point you just made, you know, that caught LSU flat footed a few times, <coughs> and I think that you know that they understand that, and, and that's sort of the thing. Looking at the last two weeks when Kent State and Missouri were able to make plays when they were able to score points. A lot of those drives, whether it was the play that scored the touchdown or or what got them into good field position, was explosive plays. It was situations where it wasn't, we're going to get five yards here, maybe 11 yards here, we're going to work our way down the field. No, it's like, hey, we took a shot and picked up 35, and now we're just going to try to to finish out this drive. And that, I think, that is something that Auburn, you know, that Georgia understands it's where Auburn is going to be vulnerable. I mean, it's where Auburn can strike on this Georgia defense. You know, I, I think, and I kind of was writing about this, um, talking about this game. <coughs> Excuse me, dealing with sinuses. Oh, my God. Um, that uh, with this game, the fact that you've got Robbie Ashford, I, I can see him making plays. I think he can uh, test what I think has been kind of underwhelming quarterback play. You know, Keely Ringo made that play that Georgia fans in that national title game are never going to forget. You know, he makes that pick six on Bryce Young. It's over. Georgia's won the national championship. 
he was a redshirt freshman, so he's got a whole lot of play left ahead of him. And, you know, he was by no means a perfect, you know, finished product, you know, great cornerback, you know, uh, you know, 100 overall, whatever. You know, he, he still has ways to get better and ways to improve, and he's gotten picked on sometimes. I mean, you know, I don't think they've thrown a ton at him knowing what he's capable of, but he had some mistakes in that Missouri game. He gave up some big plays. He got away with what I thought was a blatant defensive pass interference in the fourth quarter that would have converted, that I could understand if Missouri fans, after the fact, are going, hey, man, they didn't call that. I mean, I think I tweeted at the time. I was like, Keely Ringo got away with one. And then on the other side, you know, they lost uh, Darian Kendrick, the Clemson transfer, who played really, really well in his only year at Georgia. And Kamari Laster has been the guy playing that second corner spot. And he struggled some. I mean, he, he's given up. He gave up. Uh, I believe he was the one in coverage in the South Carolina game when uh, Spencer Rattler hit Jaheim Bell down the left sideline. I mean, it was about a 45-yard gain. Um, he's he's been picked on some, and we knew going into this season, as there was that battle to replace Darion Kendrick, that whoever won that battle, it was mainly Kamari Laster and Nylon Green were the two guys really competing for it. That they were going to have to be counted on because a lot of teams just aren't going to throw at Keely Ringo. Um, I could see this being a situation where Robbie Ashford is able to run guys open, is able to make plays down the field. But I think just based on what the players, what Kirby Smart said, they understand that. And I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, they're not going to let him run free. But if they kind of play more conservative when it looks like he is kind of working the pocket and working to his left, working to his right and say, you know what, we'll give you 11, 12 yards if you've got the room, but we are not going to let you beat us downfield. Um, we're going to trust that we can make those tackles. And they've got guys, you know, the inside linebackers, look, they're not going to be at the level they were last year. You had three guys picked in the first 102 picks. I mean, that's just crazy, all from the inside linebacker group. But they've got two really good inside linebackers in Jamon Dumas Johnson and Smile Munden. I could see them saying, look, we're going to make sure our guys, our secondary, um, stays diligent, that they say um, that, you know, we're going to stick with making sure we don't leave guys open downfield and say, look, if Robbie Ashford breaks a few runs, so be it. But I, I think they understand that the biggest challenge is going to be not allowing Robbie Ashford to make explosive plays in the passing game. I think if you were to tell me after the fact, if you come from the future and say, look, Robert was able to hang in this game, guess how they did it. I would say that Robbie Ashford was able to to make plays down the field, that he was able to hit some of those guys and make some of those plays. And I think that's that's going to be the key in that situation. Yeah, as uh, as the great Philip Marshall said on our podcast last night, uh, he's you know talking about a, a defense that has some Will Muschamp flavor um, to it. He said, you know, I've watched a lot of Will Muschamp defenses, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to shut down any sort of, you know, outside stuff, any sort of scrambling stuff. And his exact words were, um, sit back there and sling it, big boy, because <laughs> we're going to let you do it. And that's the thing with Ashford is that for Auburn right now, and again, for you know, for Georgia fans that you know, saw TJ Finley at the beginning of the season, I, I, I wonder if he'll even travel to this game. He's had a shoulder injury the past few weeks, but even when he comes back, it it kind of feels like this is Ashford's show. Mm. Now, he, he just has a... And this is kind of what some of us expected in the offseason. Like you just look at his upside, his athleticism, um, a former high end recruit, um, somebody that can boy, he has a beautiful deep ball. He has all these these kind of physical and athletic tools to him, but he is not at all a polished player. 
And so right now for Auburn, like I, I think the past two weeks, he has done nothing wrong. I, really, really not much wrong. Because against Missouri, all they want to do is run the ball. And he didn't turn the ball over. So good job. And then against LSU, threw for 337 yards. Yeah, he had that pick at the end of the game. That, that really wasn't even his fault. It's kind of just Greg Brooks literally ripped it out of Coy Moore's hands. But he completed only 50% of his passes. And so you're kind of looking at him right now like, yeah, you know, you might not get the best completion percentage. Um, the B.J. Ojolari strip sack for a touchdown was his fault. Held on to the ball too long. Only a second career start. And so Auburn's just kind of rolling the dice with him right now and saying he gives us those explosive plays. He does kind of open, as you mentioned, he just kind of opens up the offense a little bit more as opposed to if you were just like, it's T.J. Finley, you know he's not going to run, just hand the ball downfield uphill with Tank Bigsby. Um, he kind of gives you that that different element of things. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I don't expect Auburn to be able to run the ball very much, despite the despite the confidence of one Brandon Council. Uh, and, and I want to ask you about that, Nathan. <laughs> and and we, you talk a little bit about the comments, but even kind of bigger picture, you know, sure, uh, sure. kind of kind of following the coverage of Auburn this year. I know that the offensive line has struggled at times. Ha, have they made strides with this offensive line? I mean, you can you can start with what Brandon had to say, but also just what where do you think this offensive yeah. line is going into this game? When I'll use this, I, I realized earlier I, I didn't um, touch on you saying you know how have the players sort of handled the 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 loss to LSU and just kind of the direction the season's gone. Uh, they played hard, man. I mean this this has been a team that um, has not given up, and uh, would, which would be stupid to do that because they're three and two, but. You know, it's this is this is a team that hasn't given up on their coaches. Um, they've played five straight games at home, and really, I think the home crowd has helped them in like three of those. It, pretty much, actually, every one of their wins. Um, San Jose State had two false starts down by the goal line. Um, Missouri had to go into Auburn's student section end zone to try to win the game, and then I think that crowd was amazing against LSU. They did a great job um, in that game, even though that was a pretty ugly game of football. In the second half, so I'll just I I, I just want to mention that. You know, for Brandon Council to say that and have the uh, the bravado to go up there and and uh, you know and make those claims, I think part of it speaks to the fact that this is still a team that you know has a lot of veteran leadership. You know, from covering the team just last season, there are NFL guys on this roster. I mean, they've got they've got some experience of upperclassmen players who think very highly of themselves and think they have an opportunity to you know to be good players this season. Talking about the offensive line, they actually I say it was their best performance of the season against LSU. Um, and that is because, uh, you know, Tate Johnson's out for the season at center. He was pretty, pretty bad um, when he was in there. Uh, and now he doesn't, he's not the guy. Nick Brahms was the guy. Nick Brahms retired before the season started. You had to throw a red shirt sophomore. Who's ever, ever only ever played one drive in his entire career. You had to throw him into the starting role. So it, it wasn't easy, um, but it was truly, it was uh, Tate Johnson at center. And then Austin Troxel, who's a six-year senior at right tackle. He's had like three different knee procedures. He's just not a very fast player. Those two guys in particular struggled big time. Um, they were a big reason why Penn State had 40 quarterback pressures 
in that game which on 45 dropbacks that's uh it's pretty insane four and four so, zero four zero four zero four d four d four d and uh, yeah pff actually updated it was 35 after the game and then i go check a day later and they'd updated it to 40 Whoops. but yeah they so they put council at center he was a guy who's now played every position on the offensive line for auburn in his career except for uh left tackle and uh you know it just made a lot of sense. He's got the size for it. He's, he has experience playing center. Um, he snapped the ball a lot in practice. Um, that brought a, a veteran guy, Alec Jackson, brought him to right tackle. Um, and then Cam Stutz, who's who's been a, a surprise. He, he's been somebody who's kind of trended well in the offseason and now has earned himself a starting spot. He was uh, still settling in there at left guard. And really, it was that interior did a pretty good job. Robbie Ashford had a good enough, you know, had good enough time to throw. They ran the ball better. Than they did against Missouri. By the way, they had 11 yards rushing after the first quarter against Missouri. Some of the worst run blocking I had ever seen. And so, you know, in terms of in terms of offensive line strides, like you mentioned, they, this is the time to do it. They've 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 taken strides in the last week, and I think this is their best. Uh, this five, this group of five, they have right group of five. This starting five they have right now, I think, is their best group that they can use up front on the offensive line. And Brandon Council, you know, not to I joke, we're you know. We all laugh, but and, and not to sensationalize it too much. It, it was pretty brazen by him. Um, and by the way, that wasn't the only thing he said. He also no, said I, they're going to. said they're going to run the ball all day on Georgia. Um, he said Georgia's coaches don't trust their backups along the defensive line. Um, that's where I'm going to get to next. I, I I want some context from you. Yeah, on some of these absolutely. Um, and then what else did he say? Oh, and he said they're going to the, the SWAT team. Yeah, oh, SWAT team. Go in there like a SWAT team, uh, quietly beat their behinds and then leave. Um, honestly, and I saw this one Auburn fan say, "Is like honestly, I'm." He was like, "Honestly, I'm down for it." What are they going to do? Beat beat the heck out of us? I mean, I mean, it's already I, gonna that's already gonna happen. <laughs> so like, what, what what do you have to lose at this point? And I mean, my thing, I, I understand. And look, this is part of college football. You know, people are yes. going to get upset, but like. You got to have that mentality. If you go out there and just you're just like, yeah, we're gonna get killed. Well, yeah, you're gonna get killed. Well, what do you expect? Like, yeah, I mean, like, I, I take no offense. You know, I was on a radio call yesterday after that was said. And they're like, "What are you making?" I'm like, "Well, that's just you gotta. You can't have the mindset if you're a lineman that, or you know, any player. Oh, we got no chance. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you don't. Whether you think you can or you can't, you're probably right. You know, I mean, it's yeah. pretty simple. You might as well go into it and think that you are, you know, an all-American who's just going to bowl over everybody. And yeah, I mean, there's no reason you're going in. This is the biggest. I think I saw earlier in the week. This is the biggest spread for Auburn yeah, as an underdog since they played Alabama in 2012. By the way, the final score of that game was 49 and nothing. So, a um, lot of a lot of callbacks to 2012 this year. By the way, it's that's not a. Uh, that for Georgia fans that you don't remember, Auburn went three and nine that year. So, it's, oh, it's I'm sure a... any Georgia fans are watching this. Are <laughs> sure. They're like, oh yeah, no, we remember. We remember. <laughs> they haven't hung up on their they haven't hung up on their wall. But yeah, I mean, you know, when you when you sort of break down the context a little further, um, what Brandon Council was really saying was, we feel like if we can stay out of third and long, we will be good because he said. In not so many words, he said, you know, the, their third long packages, their pass rushing packages um, are pretty terrifying. But he did say, you know, that teams have run the ball on them this year. So I kind of wanted to get your take on those two things, talking about Georgia's defensive front. Number one, the loss of Jalen Carter, what that means for them, um, because, man, he's an awesome player. Um, but number two, you know, th those those couple observations by him, a got to stay out of third and long or else it's going to be a complete nightmare for them. And B, the fact that teams 
whether it's sporadically, you know, quarter by quarter, whatever they've been able to do, at least Missouri teams have been able to find a decent bit of success running the ball. Yeah. I mean, starting with Jalen Carter, it's kind of been a shame, but this is always this. I mean, this is typical to any season, you know, coming into the year, a lot of people see Jalen Carter's potential top five pick, you know, that he could be one of the top names drafted in April and he's been banged up. He, he had an ankle injury against Oregon. He's played through it. He has played less and less snaps week after week and then has a completely different injury against Missouri. Uh, got chop blocked, was engaged with one lineman. Another lineman went low and hit him. And uh, we know he's going to be out this week. Uh, Kirby said a week or two. So, you know, he would I, I would say it's probably questionable if he plays against Vanderbilt because after that they have a bye week. I could see them trying to ease him back. Uh, but that's a huge loss. He is really coming into this season – was really the only proven defensive lineman coming back for Georgia just because they lost guys like Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, uh, even veterans like Julian Rochester, some of the other guys. And they've had guys play pretty well. Um, I think Nazir Stackhouse has played really well. Uh, true freshman Michael Williams, who was five-star and uh, Georgia's top-rated signee in the 2022 class, has definitely shown flashes. Um, Zion Logue's a veteran guy. Tramel Walthour's a senior um, they've got players on the defensive line, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's been teams that have found success. You know, Zion Logue talked after the, the Missouri game and said that what really got Georgia's defensive line in trouble at times against Missouri was that Missouri got them running east to west, and it kind of, I think, kind of wore them down. And, and then, you know, I think it led to some of those big plays. I mentioned it earlier, uh, that run that Cody Schrader had was right up the middle. And Zion Logue met him. If it wasn't at the line of scrimmage, it might have been one or two yards past the line of scrimmage. And Cody Schrader, he of Truman State, a Truman State transfer, got to say I'd never heard of that until I saw him make this play, uh, took off downfield and, and nearly scored. And, and I think that this is going to be a big test for this defensive line. Even knowing the struggles Auburn's offensive line has had, I still think, too, that, that Georgia's probably got the advantage. But you don't have a guy like Jalen Carter you can count on. You absolutely need guys like Nazir Stackhouse to, to have good games. You have to have guys like Zion Logue step up. you got to have Michael Williams consistently deliver in pressure because, honestly, Georgia's kind of struggled at getting to the quarterback this year, you know. Kirby has really, really stressed, look, we don't worry about sacks. We, we, we really focus more on, you know, havoc and creating pressure. You don't necessarily have to get a sack for it to be a successful pass rush. Um, but even still, I mean, I think that the onus is on this defensive line, in my opinion, when it comes to this game. They have got to affect Robbie Ashford. I think if you can take Tank Bigsby out of this game, because we know, uh, like you had mentioned earlier, Nathan, uh, just the fact that we have not seen him really hit, um, you know, and have the season that we all expect. And, and two, I mean, I think it, um, it, it it's something where if you give him an opportunity, I think he's ready and, and going to make you pay. Um, but Georgia has to, if they can take him out of this game early and make it clear that they're not going to let him run on this defense, that's going to be huge. And I think it's a situation that, um, again, I mean, I, I would – think that Brandon Council might have kind of, um, you know, minced his words a little if he knew Jalen Carter was going to be out there. Maybe he wouldn't. You know, I mean, again, credit to to him for having that kind of attitude because you got to have it to play these type of games. Um, but that's a huge loss, not having Jalen Carter. And, and two, even if he had played not sustaining that injury against Missouri, I mean, I, he still wasn't 100%, and I think you could see it. He was playing limited snaps. 
Um, it's going to be a big test for this defensive line. And I think it's a situation that's going to bear watching. And I think if, again, if we look past this game once it's over and says, wow, Auburn was able to hang around, then I'd say, well, then I bet Georgia's defensive line didn't get the kind of push and didn't win that, you know, battle in the trenches that, you know, these last few years when Georgia and Auburn have played, Georgia's done a really good job really on both sides of the ball, dominating the line of scrimmage. And uh, it's going to be, uh, an opportunity for us to really learn about this Georgia defensive line without Jalen Carter. I kind of wrote about this this morning, but you know they're, they're saying they're going to take this next man up mentality and and try to keep things rolling. And and I get t- taking that attitude, but now it's it's all about all right, go out and do it because you you can't count on number eighty eight being out there. Other people have to step up and, and make plays. Um, talking about Jalen Carter, I want to talk to Nathan. Give me sort of a feel for. Uh, what kind of injuries, if any, Auburn is dealing with? Because this is a situation, truthfully, in my opinion, I think Auburn is playing Georgia at a really good time because Georgia's kind of banged up. We talked about Jalen Carter. Lab McConkey's been playing through a toe injury. You know, he's a guy that I'm sure Auburn fans hear that name and they're just like, oh my God, because he had such a good game uh, against Auburn in 2021. He just hasn't looked the same. He, he's had a toe injury he's tried to play through. Had a really rough game against Kent State, turned the ball over twice, had a drop in the end zone. Last week against Missouri, he wound up having something like three receptions, but had another drop that was just very uncharacteristic. So he's trying to play through that. Um, they, they've they uh, had Kenny McIntosh, their lead back. He played last week and looked pretty good, and I think he's healing up, but he's been dealing with a quad bruise. Um, they've had guys banged up. They've had guys that... They're counting on Smile Munden, another guy that I mentioned earlier, one of the inside linebackers, dealing with an ankle injury sustained in that Missouri game. Um, it, it's pretty significant the, the amount of guys that they're counting on, not even mentioning A.D. Mitchell, who I think would be their number one receiver. I think he comes back this week, but he has not really played since that Sanford game, um, dealing with an ankle injury as well. Um, they, they have a lot of guys that they count on to play big roles who are either – working their way back from injury or, or just, you know, not quite um, what we expect them to be and not quite 100%. What's the situation look like on Auburn's side? Are there any injuries uh, of significance that they're dealing with coming into this game? Yeah, we talked about, um, obviously, technically their starting quarterback is out in TJ Finley, although, yeah. like we referenced before, I do think they'll probably keep things rolling with Ashford when even when Finley gets healthy. Um Brandon Council is taken over at center for Tate Johnson, but again, I think it's it's difficult to see that as not being an upgrade um, at this point. <clears throat> the big one was last week where a guy that you probably couldn't afford to lose because of how thin Auburn is at its edge pass rusher um, spot. They entered the season only with four scholarship guys. For the longest time, they only had three scholarship players at the position, they finally added Marcus Bragg, a, uh, a, a transfer from Western Kentucky. And uh, anyway, they lost Eku Leota, who is a, a guy from Northwestern. He actually had a big sack against Stetson Bennett, I believe, in this game last year on kind of a rollout, and he he kind of brought him down the open field. And he was playing in, in this game last year, taking over for another guy who was injured. And so he sort of had a, had a breakout performance. Ended up being second on the team in tackles for loss. Last year, Pro Football Focus through Auburn's first four games had uh, Leota with the number four pass rushing grade in the SEC. Um, and so he's a really, really good looking player, really high motor, really fast off the edge. He's a great complement to Derek Hall. It's obviously an all SEC pass rusher, could be a you know top two, three round draft pick. And so Auburn thought this season it 
it had quietly one of the SEC's better pass rushing duos with that with those two. And now you just go from a situation where you have two veterans, two seniors, two guys who have, you know, 30, 40 plus tackles for loss combined in their careers, you know, whatever it is, and you replace him with a guy who which credit to Marcus Bragg, he had a good game against LSU. Um, and he's had a couple tackles for loss the last two weeks. He had a sack um, filling in for Leota against LSU, but you're replacing, you know, this proven senior with a guy who was a role player at Western Kentucky for most of his career. It was kind of a, a rotational piece. Only you know, had four four sacks, I believe, in three years at Western Kentucky. And so, um, you know, he comes in now and he's going to take over that role. Colby Wooden will probably flex out to the outside a little bit more. Um, Colby Wooden, obviously, you know, a great interior defensive lineman. He's been one of their most productive players the past couple of seasons. His uh, his roots are as a pass rusher. When he came to Auburn, he was like a 230 pound outside guy, and he's since bulked up like 50 pounds. So he'll uh, he'll get back to his roots, and he said he'll play some snaps on the outside to kind of help them with that pass rush. And then Cam Riley, um, they're uh, one of their starting linebackers alongside Owen Papo. He missed the LSU game. Although he played a couple snaps on special teams, which was interesting, he played he played two punt coverage snaps, uh, but they didn't put him in on defense because he had a, a minor shoulder injury. Um, Brian Harson said on on Wednesday he absolutely expects him to travel and play with the team against Georgia, which is really big because through the first four weeks of the season he was Auburn's leading tackler. He had a, he had sixteen tackles in their season opener, so he's been a pretty productive player so far. So really, the injury bug has not been awful to Auburn until this past week. Um, because the Leota injury, I'm just interested to see um, what they do with that side of the ball, in terms of Georgia attacking that side of the ball, and what Auburn's pass rush, pass rush looks like. They had three of the top you know, five, six, seven graded pass rushers in the SEC with Derek Hall, Eku Leota, and Colby Wooden. Colby Wooden right now has the number one pass rush grade among defensive linemen in the conference, and so and Derek Hall leads the conference in quarterback pressure. So they've they've done a really good job getting after the quarterback this season, um, so I, I do wonder what kind of effect that will have on on Stetson Bennett um, and this offense, which it seems like the the big thing was I you know I thought going into this game at least a couple weeks ago, okay, Auburn, you know, looking at how much Georgia is just throwing the ball around this season, they they, they seem like they're a little bit more comfortable letting Stetson Bennett go back there and you know throw it thirty five plus times a game. I understand against Missouri they were behind, uh, but even before that. I don't know if the identity, I mean, you, you obviously can, you tell me coach, but I obviously the identity, I doubt the identity of this team has really changed, but you know, is it, is it a, is it a, a you know, confidence in Stetson Bennett that's grown over the past year um, that that's allowed him to, to throw the ball a little bit more. What is, you know, what does Georgia's offense really look like in terms of its identity right now? Um, because I, I'm just looking at it thinking that I, I thought this would be a pass rush that would, maybe be able to get after him a little bit in this game. And that could be a factor when you talk about Auburn, maybe needing a couple turnovers to even stay in this game. You get a strip sack, you get an interception, what have you. And I just think they took a pretty significant step back there. So I don't know. What do you expect from Georgia in this game? Do you expect them to, to run the ball against an Auburn team that really struggled to, to stop it against Penn state? Or, or do you expect them to kind of stay along that same path where, where Bennett is throwing the ball a good bit? I could see them sticking with the path. You know, I think uh, the the really the lesson I took from probably the first three weeks specifically was that they have confidence in Stetson and that they really, you know, Todd Monk and the offensive coordinator, I thought he has done a pretty good job for through most of the year. I think some of the play calling in Missouri call into question, but just keeping it simple and saying, let's get our playmakers the ball. And they've done a very good job of that for the most part. Really liked early in the season how they would, 
you know, flex guys out, like move Kenny McIntosh, the running back out wide, you know, give Lad McConkey, give Brock, uh, Brock Bowers the ball on handoffs, you know, things like that. They did a very good job of being creative. And I think there is a built in trust and, and an increased trust in, in Stetson Bennett. And the fact that, you know, I've talked about this a few times, he's had an entire offseason as QB1. I mean, going into fall camp and during call, uh, fall camp during 2021, there was a point where Stetson Bennett's taking the third team reps. And now consider the fact that, you know, not long into the season, I mean, by the time they're playing UAB, he has to come in off the bench and play. And, and you know, with JT Daniels getting hurt and kind of the rest is history. I think they feel comfortable with continuing to throw the ball. I could see them trying to uh, run the ball a bit, not only because of the weaknesses Auburn has shown, but because they're coming off a game where, especially in the first half, they were abysmal, again, you know, trying to run the ball. They averaged outside of a 35-yard run by Kendall Milton, which, important to note, Kendall fumbled at the end of the play and lost the ball, and Missouri recovers. They averaged a third of a yard per carry in the first half against Missouri. They just could get no push. I think this interior offensive line has struggled a good bit. Um, even the right tackle, Warren McClendon, he had some issues in more in, in pass protection against Missouri. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, they're they're not uh, scared to let Stetson throw the ball. I think that they're not going to rely quite as much uh, on Ken, you know, Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton and say, oh, we're, you know, the, the, the history with Georgia and always sort of the, the mindset has been ground and pound, ground and pound, and, you know, we'll throw here and there, but we're going to really live on the, on the ground and, and make plays in that. Uh, area of the game but no I think they understand that we hey we've got uh, guys like Brock Bowers and if A.D. Mitchell is able to come back this week we've got a guy that you know I still think has the the potential to be their number one receiver and and can make plays and that they desperately need and have kind of lacked these last few weeks Uh, and then you get a guy in Arian Smith who has been hurt throughout his career at Georgia but is a speedster is a is a, a track guy um you know, that I think can also kind of extend, uh, you know, plays downfield and give you kind of that deep threat. Um, I, I think they're going to gonna lean on Stetson and, and say, hey, we're going to keep throwing the ball. I could see them trying to work the run just even more than anything, get confidence in some of those offensive linemen in the backs as well to say, we can do this. You know, had a poor showing last week, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Uh, but I think we're going to continue to see them trust number 13, let him air the ball out and try to make plays downfield. Uh, Nathan, as we get a little bit closer to wrapping this episode up, tell me about the Auburn perspective for this game. What, in your opinion, has got to go right? Maybe not necessarily for Auburn to pull off what, again, would be a huge upset, but but for this to be a close game, for this to be a competitive game, what does Auburn need to do for this game to be close on Saturday? Well, you know, as we've sat here for you know about forty-five minutes, and and you've done a good job of of laying out some of the things that maybe from a you know zoomed-out perspective, people don't necessarily know about some of the struggles this Georgia team has had, relatively speaking, relative to being a five and zero team. Um, you know, I think as as you've gone through it, and, and maybe some of our listeners would would agree from listening to you, if Auburn executes on both sides of the ball and doesn't turn the ball over, um, they'll absolutely cover in this game. I think, um, but in I don't know how much of that will be from them going downfield and scoring because I am not sure again, if they can't find those explosive plays with Robbie Ashford, which for me, I just, I just think for Auburn's passing game, I just think that's on tape now. And I just wonder how much better. I just wonder if that's going to work the way it did against LSU. Now that Georgia sort of knows the deal with how Auburn wants to move the ball. 
down the field. Um, it all starts. It all starts with the turnover battle for me, which is something we talked about at the beginning of the show. And and you know, it's it's such a cliche, but for Auburn, and seemingly for Georgia, from what you were saying, it's been such a big storyline. And I mean, you just can't overlook a minus nine margin. Uh, you just can't for Auburn right now. Um, it absolutely sealed their fate in both of their losses. Um, just having the inability to hold on to the ball. I mean, just giving possessions away over and over again. I I do wonder, you know, whether their second half trends on offense are going to change at all in this game. That's something we haven't actually mentioned at, really at all on this show. It is a pretty, talk about mind-boggling statistics. They're, they've scored 21 points over their last eight second halves against Power 5 teams. That's it was 2.6 points per half, less than a field goal per half in their past eight. I think it's the past six, past eight games against power five teams. Um, I mean, it's, it's difficult to pinpoint what exactly that comes down to except coaching. I mean, what, what else, what else could it be if you can't make second half adjustments? Their defense has done a def- decent enough job adjusting at halftime dating back to last season. Um, but man, once the other team is able to to make some adjustments, you saw it happen against Missouri when they went up 14 nothing. Saw it happen against LSU when they went up 17 nothing. After a few good drives, um, the other team is able to just key in and and really they haven't been able to to find a fix to that going all the way back to last year. So I just look at this Georgia defense, which is the most talented group they will have played, despite some of the you know relative issues you've you've touched on. This is the most talented group they've seen this season. Is this the week to figure that out? And I think probably not. Um, and even going into next week, Ole Miss is a team winning with defense right now. It's probably not the week to figure that out then either. And so, you know, the factors for Auburn to 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 keep this you know close game to stay within 10, 14 points, you know, as the you know going into the fourth quarter or whatever in the second half, um, it's got to be taking care of the football. If I don't even know about you know if they win the turnover battle, if they just have a couple turnovers, you know, even if they have two and Georgia has three, in any of those opportunities you're giving away, um, it's just going to be so brutal for them because they want this to be an ugly game. And really that's, that's been Auburn's MO for the past few weeks. And LSU looked like it was going to be that way. It's like, wow, this is exactly the kind of game they want. And then obviously they gave it, they just straight up gave it away at the end. And so, you know, if, if this is 10, 10 at halftime, you know, even, even 10 to three Georgia at halftime or something like that, 14 to three Georgia, Auburn could say, okay, we're keeping this one low scoring. We haven't turned the ball over. Let's keep playing defense. Let's keep giving ourselves, an opportunity to find those explosives with Robbie Ashford to maybe sack Stetson Bennett, maybe get an interception um, and take advantage of them throwing the ball around so much. To me, that's a lot of ifs. That that's that's a lot of ifs I just touched on. Um, and so, yeah, I just this offensive line did a good job bouncing back last week, and I thought they had their best performance of the year against LSU. But the confidence that I have for them to have a good performance from week to week. Because sometimes they can't even this as a team. Auburn is so consistent, even within the same game, even from quarter to quarter. Consistency has just not been there for this team, and so I have little faith in them. I wouldn't be surprised because of how you know what they did last week, but I have little faith in them to turn around and go out there and execute the exact same way again against Georgia on Saturday. And look, I mean, if for to Auburn's credit, even though they lost against LSU a couple weeks ago after the way they played against Missouri, I was like, Georgia's going to win. 48 to nothing i mean this is this team is terrible they turned it around and 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 showed some some strides on both sides of the ball again they lost the game because of the turnovers in the second half they showed some decent strides on both sides of the ball so i've come down a little bit more but um 
I'm still of the mindset that maybe with a late score, and again, it's there's not a lot of people on this Georgia staff that really like Auburn very much. No, and a lot with histories at Auburn. Yes, and so I, you know, because we've seen this game. I remember 2020, Georgia was up like 24 to three, second quarter, something like that, and uh, man, they pulled off the gas. I mean, I, I was like, wow, this is going to be this is going to be ugly, and they really kind of pulled off of it um, and just sort of salted the ball, salted the game away mm. on the ground. And I know Kirby's not one that has ever just run up the score very often. I'm not saying he'll do that. I just wonder about the motivation for Georgia in this game and its coaching staff to really kind of step on Auburn's throat here. And so that is why I'm still picking Georgia to cover. I believe it's at 29 and a half right now. Um, I, I think Auburn can look not horrible at parts in this game. I think they objectively can look not dreadful. Um, but to me, it goes back to pretty much everything Georgia does well. Auburn doesn't do well. Um, and there's there's not many matchups I think Auburn can win in this game. And so maybe maybe they see some encouraging things. Maybe maybe a guy like Ashford goes out there, has a good game. Auburn scores 24 points and they lose, you know, 38 to 24. I think that'd be pretty decent because at this point of Brian Harson in his tenure, you know, the people at Auburn, the decision makers at Auburn, they aren't really expecting him to win this game. But you just look at what happened toward the end of the Gus Malzahn tenure and you're saying, look, we can't just go to Athens and Tuscaloosa and not compete, which is what's happened. They just, they do not compete. They lose by 40 every game. You can't have that happen. And so if Georgia goes out there and covers and just blows their doors off, um, that's only going to further hit home that point. And I don't know if they're going to, I don't think, I don't think, you know, destroy would be the right word, but I, I can just see Georgia really taking control of this game at the line of scrimmage where Auburn is thinner on the defensive side. Um, they've not been great on the offensive side. And just kind of dictate the pace of this game, maybe in like a thirty-eight to ten result, something like that. Yeah, you took my score almost. I, I think I'm gonna say thirty-seven to ten. I think that Auburn just—I I don't know. I'm not convinced that Georgia's gonna cover. The two areas that I want to see again, I still think Georgia is gonna win this game. Georgia in the red zone—they've settled for way too many field goals. They did that last week against Missouri. It's—it's it's kind of become an issue after. Again, being so efficient in that opener against Oregon. And then, two, a point we talked about a ton. How does this defensive line play without Jalen Carter? Again, we know that Auburn's a little bit suspect up front. Can they create pressure? Can they make Robbie Ashford really feel uh, the pass rush and affect his play? And more importantly, not allow him to scramble and create things downfield. But uh, I'm going to say 37-10 Georgia. I'm not convinced that. Auburn is going to be able to hang offensively for four quarters. I think we'll see Robbie Ashford make a few plays, uh, maybe take the breath out of Sanford Stadium for a bit. But I, I just don't think Auburn's quite got enough to be able to hang with this Georgia team for four quarters. I, I just realized that I said, yeah, you know, I think I think Georgia will probably cover and then objectively picked a score that does not does not yes. that. Well, that's um, maybe I'll bump maybe I'll bump it up a little bit a four a four touchdown. When yeah, I just I mean Auburn, I could see maybe scoring like seventeen um, in this game. And again, everything you've talked about has sort of made me think that Georgia's still got a lot of stuff to work out, and they've got a lot of stuff to work out on a banged up roster. Um, you know, that's got a, a couple key pieces on on both sides of the ball. But for me, I'm just sort of in the not not the whole like completely throwing out the records for a rivalry game, but I just look at where these two programs are. Um, the trajectory of Brian Harson, sort of the inevitable feeling there. The fact that Auburn has looked, for the most part of the season, horrible on offense, and the fact that Georgia's in a position to where they're like, "Hey, let's let's 
let's figure this stuff out. Oh, we're oh we're hosting Auburn this week. In let's our have, home let's have a get right game game. It, it just seems to me it's you know the lot timing is such a big thing, and I could I I could just see this really going George's way. Um, yes, yeah, so I guess I'll go. I guess I'll go thirty eight ten. So I completely walk back saying they'll cover. That's a big spread, man. Now that I think about that, it, that's, that's my thing. And that Georgia has <laughs> just they've been inefficient scoring. They've had to kick a lot of field yeah. goals. That, that's just sort of more. No, no disrespect to Auburn, but I'm like y'all are expecting Georgia to put up a lot of points, and that's sort of where I take issue with the spread. Yeah, it's a big one. Uh, now you should think about it. Like, I mean, that's for an SEC game. That's uh, that's very large. I okay. I, I walk it back now. I'd be I'd be a little surprised if they if they cover it, but I, I could see this one getting out of hand if Auburn has a couple. Ter- like, if Ashford, the thing is, if Ashford can't come out and do anything, you're pretty much toast because I don't think you'll run the ball. If he has a you know pick on the second drive, I just that. It could go really south there. And so you're again, you're asking, it's like we talked about the open where it's like if Auburn executes decently in, in every area that they should, they actually could play a decent game. Um, but I, you're asking a lot because I have not seen this team execute for four quarters. I haven't seen them execute for two and a half quarters this entire season. And so you're asking to do that in Athens. I just don't think it'll be a pretty picture, but we'll see. We'll see. That's why they play the game. Oh, that's what they say, coach. Coach, you tell me, coach. All right, Nathan, I think I've I've kind of covered everything. Anything yeah. else you want to hit on before we get out of here? I think that is uh I think that's good. I think this uh I think this turned out pretty well. We had a bunch of comments rolling along here. I was laughing at some of them. Um yeah, I thought it was good. Yeah, enjoyed it. Appreciate everybody listening, everybody watching, everybody listening to the junkyard dogcast, everybody listening to the Auburn Observer. We appreciate your guys' support. The what? The what? The Auburn I'm sorry, the Auburn Undercover <laughs> Podcast. I'm, I am, I am. You've been, uh, you've been on, doing like four different podcasts. I'm on Mucinex, man. I've been taking cough drops. I'm all over the place. The Auburn Undercover Podcast. He's taking the free advertisement. I'm taking the 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 two four seven. My two four seven buddies there covering AU. Uh, appreciate everybody watching, everybody listening, and uh, let's get out of here, Nathan.